Kieran. I'm Hannah. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hey, Hannah. Hey, Kieran. Happy Saturday. Yes, it's finally Saturday and I have more homework to do. How is your school yeah. going? I, what, uh, what? I have homework? I'm in school? I, <laughs> I know. I'm in. <laughs> I'm so in denial about this. I got up this morning and I like took a, lo- a long walk with the dog to a coffee shop to get a latte and pretended like my time is my own and my life is my own and I need to sit and make a list of all of my homework assignments after we're done. Yeah, I need to go over what I need to do for homework. We did, so uh, I my first essay I finished and I finished on time by the skin of my teeth. Yeah. And then it's not due until next week or the next week and that was really frustrating, but I wrote about the, like, the day my parents decided to homeschool me, because I was going to write about educational neglect, but mm-hmm. that was not scenic enough, so <laughs> I had to make it, like, a scene. Did you learn to write an essay before you got to college? Yes. Did you learn it at home in homeschooling? Do you have to teach yourself? Um, I learned it like I learned it as part of homeschooling and part of like it was weirdly part of speech and debate is when I put the two together mm. because I was writing. I was doing a lot of research. So a lot of like my cases were sort of really outliney research papers and I'd been writing forever and I had Strunken White's style guide so right i had figured out how to put together an essay even though it wasn't really explicitly taught and it was weirdly it was sort of part of speech writing in speech class i learned how to write an essay sort of in high school but i never really had a good sense of what i was shooting toward i don't think i really read any essays um and uh, speech and debate was something I observed and in rather than participating in, I was, you know, around it, but I would, wasn't allowed to actually do it. And I, I feel like I didn't really learn how to write a paper, like write a research paper, um, how to argue something besides, besides like the, you know, BS fallacy uh, detective. Right kind of stuff um i didn't know like know how to write an extended like persuasive essay or an extended paper despite like blogging and writing essays and all this stuff for forever until i got to college and um this professor of british literature at grove um janice brown would have like a writing workshop seminar that she would require all of her freshmen um english majors to take because she was so fed up with freshmen coming into Grove without knowing how to write a proper paper that she just like made us go through um I guess she must have used Drunk and White but she used some other resources too and like like broke down the processes of how to write a good paper and it was like this 
massive aha moment for me because I had never had anyone do that for me before. I'd always just been handed books and like yep. been told to like mimic it, but like I didn't know what I was like the the construction, the like elaborate construction of it was like totally foreign, and so it was really wild and wonderful to like have it spelled out for me piece by piece. Yeah, I think that's what we're gonna. So my next paper is a research paper, and I think we're gonna go over how that works too. Yeah, um, and more of what he's looking for with our style guide. Um, that'll be so. Good. It should be interesting because it'll be my first like actual research paper that does he know like, that has. like you're coming from this background like how are yes. you interacting with professors now uh it's hard still sometimes because the fun thing about being homeschooled is when your parents are your teachers all of, like there's no separation so my first semester last year was really really hard because I kept feeling like I had to appease my teachers like I needed to appease my parents. Mm-hmm. Which is not actually the thing that you I, need to do. Yeah, I had this a similar sense, but it was more like I, I felt like I couldn't go to them for help because I would be a burden. Which is yes. such a joke because, like, that's to my parents. I couldn't ask for help because... I was the oldest. I was supposed to figure it out and be fine so that they could direct their attention to the more needy younger kids. But um, it, it, with a professor, that's their job. Right? Like, that's the yeah. whole point. I did not realize that. And I kind of figured that out with my math tutor uh, last semester. Uh and sort of the semester before that, because like our math, my math class is not a lecture. It's much more like homeschooling in that mm. it's self-paced and you just sort of like move through the book as as you go, whatever speed that is. And gotcha. then we have someone there who's like there specifically for us to ask questions to and to help us at wherever like we're at. Like a TA? Yeah, except that she's, like, actually a math tutor and has, like, a degree in math, and that's what she does. Is she, awesome. She, she tutors math for the industrial maintenance program. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah, and so we have this person who's there just to be asked to explain math concepts. So ha with your, your current professor and this research paper have you gone to him and been like hey so this is my background this is the first time i've actually written one of these kinds of papers like like i know it's like a community college sort of like it sounds yeah. like it's maybe a remedial english class of some kind but like i think this is like a totally like you're you're uh in a different universe from probably most yeah. of people who have taken this class yeah yeah, so the first thing that we did uh, at the start of the semester, because it's just like, it's it's English 1A, so it's like the first, like, it's the English prereq. So you should yeah. already know basics. Um, and he had us write him a letter that basically was an introduction letter about ourselves and whatnot. So I wrote down... Oh, yeah. I love yeah. it when professors do that. 
Yeah. So I wrote down like I was homeschooled. This is hard for me. I have mm-hmm. this background. I have ADHD. I have accommodations with DSPS. So like that was basically my letter. It was like Good. here's where I'm at. This is this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. If you see me missing for ten minutes at a time, it's because I have to walk to the tower to pee. Yeah, he like knows that a little bit. Good. So in case to our listeners, in case you haven't figured it out yet, um, the topic of today's podcast is educational neglect. Um, and it's something that really impacts our lives day to day. We're both in school. Um, we're both incredibly competent, like high functioning um, people with mental health problems. Um, I have PTSD and anxiety attacks and um you know being in a classroom setting is always intense for me um because of all of these things that we've been talking about and I love it but it's also um it's it causes an, an adrenaline spike because there's there's so much um history to yeah. work work through every single time I set foot in a classroom so um and Karen has mentioned they, you know, they need their their accommodations for ADHD and um, being trans and um, having PTSD and um, and a lot of these things were are kind of direct results of being homeschooled. Yeah. Um, and this is part of why we're both involved with the Coalition for Responsible Home Education because we. Um, we are really passionate about having other homeschoolers not be set up for these kinds of experiences in adulthood. And um, because homeschooling doesn't have to be like this. Homeschooling doesn't have to end this way. Um, Even if, you know, I feel like I got like a pretty good education compared to a lot of my homeschool peers. But if I look at the kind of education that I got compared to public school or private school peers of mine, I really have, I have no experience that's even, that comes even close to the kinds of things that they experienced. Um, I was reading this, like, list of, of things and of why, why education, why teach, um, it's a textbook for a a seminar, a freshman seminar in education that I, I was trying to audit, um, here at school and uh, just listening to the assumptions about what education should be was really hard for me to experience because I'm so jealous like I would have loved being in school so much like right. I would have loved to have had like uh, like things about like curiosity and um, learning how to self-regulate emotions in a professional environment and like um, having my uh, my communication skills like affirmed and curated, like these things would have been so good, but they just didn't exist. Yep. So it's it's really hard for us to talk about because we're so passionate about this, and it's so personal. Yeah, it's something that we have to face every day, all the time. And it didn't. And I think the 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 like the biggest reason it's so shitty for us to think about and to like process is that like it didn't need to be like this right at all yeah i don't know how 
gendered your education was or how different it was uh, for for your family between like what the boys learned and what the girls learned. But for my family, like it was a stark contrast where my brother learned math and had experiences like working and and having friends and whatever. I was relegated to the home. Cooking counted as math. I didn't have to learn algebra because I would never use it as a wife and mother. So my entire Can you uh, explain can you explain to our listeners cooking counted as math? I know what you mean by that. But yes. can you like unpack that? Yeah. So um because when you're cooking if you're following a recipe, you're doing a lot of fractions. And if you have a big family, like I did, you're doubling the recipe always because the recipes are for four people and you have to feed eight. I'm, so, I'm al- I was always quadrupling it. Like, Yeah, I was, I was always at least doubling, if not tripling. And mm-hmm. I was able to do that in my head because when you're making bread, two cups of flour is easily for six cups of flour yeah um and so what my mom would do instead of having me sit down with a math book is she would just make me cook all the meals that day and then i wasn't sitting down learning multiplication or algebra but i was learning how to like do fractions yeah (laughs) very very specific fractions that are really easy to do because cooking cooking math, cooking fractions is so much easier than machining fractions, let me tell you. <laughs> right, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't have to measure things in like five sixteenths to cook. I, I definitely had a like consumer math credit that was basically home economics based yep. math that like I was like, learn how to balance your checkbook and also like all of these other like basic household things, like it, I mean, it was a Mennonite textbook that was designed for people whose education ended at eighth grade. So, like, yep, I, I understand the context of where it came from, but like the fact that that was like what was used for me as a valid option because it was too hard to find a tutor or too hard to um, give me the kind of time I needed. I think I have dyscalculia. Like, I've never had this tested, but like the way I approached math never made sense to my mom Mm -hmm. and so we'd get into these big fights and so at some point i think we both just gave up like yeah that happened to me too that's why i didn't learn algebra i mean i i taught myself algebra one two and geometry like i literally taught myself these things and i sort of got it but like when i was trying to um trying to take a, a college credit you know, math credit for liberal arts students or something. And the sorts of, like, assumptions about what you knew already coming into that class uh, just had me floundering the entire semester. And, of course, I didn't ask for help because I yep. I didn't think that I could. I didn't think it was safe to. That was something that I've also had to come to grips with is, like, I didn't I – didn't, I still – don't necessarily feel like it's safe to ask questions even though I know it's wrong. There's especially with math because my attempt 
to learn algebra culminated in my mom throwing the book at my face because she was explaining the number line in a way that didn't make sense to me. <laughs> and then last year, when I'm in class and my tutor explains the number line, my mind is just blown because I'm like, oh, you can just <laughs> walk backwards. Okay, that's I can get that. It's It could be like so simple. Yeah. I think one thing to just like pause here for our listeners, homeschooling and unschooling, if they're done from a like child-centered, like Reggio Emilia or Montessori style um, approach can be really good. Um, Like I think that there are educators who can like teach their kids at home and do a really great job. I think that there are parents who understand like, child development and like basic psychology and like can provide a really solid education to their children but I think it's like one of the things that happens with this fundamentalist Christian upbringing is when it gets brought into the education sphere like the world that we grew up in was already so defined by us versus them these like binary fear-based dichotomies where it was like all or nothing one way or the other And everything was a reaction and everything was fear driven. And so when you get that plus authoritarian, like quiverful stuff, um, it's like trying to teach yourself like an education on your own in a surveillance state where you are like an indentured servant. Like that's kind of what our life was. That's exactly what it is. Like it was a... You have to serve this family and work for this family until you are 18 and you can get out and, like, have your own life and have your own interests and have your own friends and and pursue whatever you want. But until then, like, the family's priorities and needs come first and pitch in and help, like, physical labor. And yep. then if you have free time, then your education can come in and don't ask for help because um, that's being a burden and or and or please ask for help so we can um, surveil you more closely. <laughs> right. Um, and, like, find more ways to, it, like, becomes avenues for extra punishment as opposed to, like, an opportunity for growth. And so learning becomes so fraught. It, it becomes dangerous because you're kind of, like, at a disadvantage either way. If you need help and you need to ask for help, none of the responses are going to help you. So if you teach yourself, you're also very limited because all of your resources are monitored. But at least you're not getting beaten with a math book. Right, exactly. Um, so, <laughs> I, In my family, the the genders, gender differences were different. The like chore responsibilities were very gendered. The um, social liberties were very gendered. Uh, like my brother could ride his bike around the neighborhood when, you know, his older sister couldn't, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But like he wasn't made to do his laundry for the longest time and we had to do it. Um, so stuff like that was happening, but we got fairly similar educations. Um, and I think it got, I think I got the better one. Like I think because I was the first and I got the most attention for the first few years, I got more of a foundation in elementary school than any of my other siblings did. And so I've, I'm, I'm watching the the ones who are homeschooled all the way through really struggle because yeah. 
they, um, you know, as soon as other children started coming along and they were in the middle and um, I was, you know, teaching myself, they didn't have that kind of like close attention and foundation and uninterrupted time that I got Yep. to the point that like brother was like going to college and he's a he's a biologist now and like learning about how evolution actually works as opposed to the straw man theory that was taught us like blew his mind and like set him up for like a month of spiraling out over that like reality yeah that cost him a lot of like ability to focus on his homework and like keep up with his class like that was and that's just like one example it's hard watching my siblings sometimes because I taught myself because I was studious and I'm like that's just part of my nature not all of my siblings you were driven to get out yeah and and like not all of my siblings have or had that capacity or drive to just learn things and I mm-hmm. think some of it is because when I was a kid before everyone else came along, my mom sat down with me after school, after preschool, and taught me how to read, and taught me how to write, and taught me how to count, and taught me how to do all of, like, first grade stuff. And so I had all of that individual attention to, like, focus on learning how to learn. And so then I just had that. And I knew how to do it. And so then I just kept doing it. But a lot of my siblings don't necessarily have that. That and it's harder for them. Is so important. It makes all the difference. Yeah. I remember listening to my house dad in Kyrgyzstan teach my younger house brother to read. And, like, it always was a fight. Like, my house brother, Danielle, did not like reading. And he needed to be up at a certain point so that he could keep up with his classmates when he got to school. And so they did like two or three hours of like reading practice every day. And my host dad was just unflappable. Like Daniel would throw tantrums and like flail and like run away and come back and like just like pout and whine and fuss. And and Talon, my host dad, was just like, okay, are you done? Here's the next word. All right, try it again. And just like he was so patient, and I was stunned. I was like, "Oh my god! Uh, wow!" the The lack of ego in this parent situation is incredible, and this parent is also the authority figure trying to teach. And there's no, there's no like punishment. There's no like you won't get your dinner. There's no like Threat. if you don't obey me, I'm gonna spank you. Like none of that. It was just, it was, he was creating, like, education and learning to be a safe and positive, consistent environment by demonstrating that in his attitude. And I was just, like, enchanted and also heartbroken. Yes, that feeling. I feel that feeling a lot. Yeah. I feel it a lot. Yeah. School is hard. It's hard in a lot of ways that I expected and also didn't expect just because there's so much of of that to deal with because I didn't realize that it could be so different. I didn't realize Mm -hmm. that learning could happen in a way that felt safe. I didn't realize that like I could fail and nobody would be mad at me. (laughs) Nobody minds. It's okay. My machining instructor, I spent five weeks 
making these bushings. Well, actually, it was more mm-hmm. than five weeks. It was like eight weeks making these. And they're still incorrect. And I went through so much metal and made so many pieces that weren't right until I got ones that like were good enough. And the entire time, he didn't once get mad at me. He didn't once criticize me. He only ever like checked to make sure that like I was okay and like see if he could help or explain something and it was like magical because it was just it was fine to mess up and it was fine to fail and that was never something that I'd had before I can I can go through infinite metal in the machine shop and it's okay yeah, I, I think that's that's what it comes down to. I get so moved when I have professors or teachers who, like, come to my defense, who, like, are advocating for me to me when I'm being hard on myself. Yeah. Like, I had this encounter, like, my tutorial professor last semester, Liz Poliner, like, this woman has a reputation of kind of being tough on her students. And... I was being hard on myself in advance of a submission that I felt kind of sensitive about. I was being kind of like evasive and vulnerable about submitting this piece of writing. So I wrote this like apologetic preface to it. And she was just like, please, just like, this is insulting to me as a reader because it assumes that I don't like you. Oh my God. And I was like, but you don't, right? And she like, you know, like right? that's not right. that's not true. And I knew it wasn't true, but like she called me on having that like fundamental assumption going in. And I was just like, oh, and she was like, I like you and I like your story and I like this project and I'm so excited about it and I want to read this. Give your reader like that benefit of the doubt that like it because I, I was like I was unintentionally setting off um, an antagonistic relationship with my readers by presuming that I was going to get in trouble or like yeah. somebody was going to dislike me. And um, and that can be a form of self-sabotage too without even realizing it. Like yep. having this like fear of, uh, of these authority figures really just like it makes them want to distrust you back. Yeah. If there are, if they're predisposed to like you already, like it's a, it's a dessert. It's like a disrespectful to, not accept that at face value yeah that makes so much sense but because of where we come from it's almost impossible to assume that we're gonna be safe yeah i like i always operate under the assumption that like people are kind of just appeasing me and i'm really just a toxic terrible person to like be around and work with and maybe people are just nice because they don't want me to get angry or something i don't know and and like i know this is false hey, because kieran. i go out of my way to be a nice person <laughs> kieran i've been working with you since you were 15 you're one of the easiest people i've ever had work like group projects with or like collaborations with you're so easy to work with yeah i know this i when... enjoy working with you <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate that i assume that i talk too much i assume that like um, my opinions are too strong or mm-hmm. that like people are going to be bored about hearing me go on and on about something I'm passionate about, yes. which is like such a joke because like this podcast is like actually providing me with data to counter that belief. Because I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I still do it. I, I get so nervous 
and and then I like word vomit and trip all over myself, and it's it's ugly. It's like this this kind of insecurity is boring. When I run into it in other people, I'm like, oh, honey, like just like accept the fact that I like you, and like let's move on. I know, but I can't extend myself to myself that same um, consideration. I do this all the time. It's infuriating. My English teacher has been talking a lot about student resistance, which is basically like self-sabotage where like you do well and that conflicts with like your perception of yourself as someone who's terrible and then you just self-sabotage and I'm like this has been my entire school experience where like I do well but because of all of the times I was told that I would fail in school and I was not good and I was bad at math and bad at doing things and bad at interacting with people and cut off from any of those opportunities that whenever I succeed I start panicking. And last night mm-hmm. I had an anxiety attack because a lot of progress is being made at school because like the president of the school is on the same page as I am with regards to like queer support and whatnot. And so a lot of progress is happening because I've talked about things. But I was freaking out because it was happening and it was easy and that obviously means something is wrong. Because you're about to get punished, like it's a trap. Yes, it's a trap. I, I, and I think, like, it's, it's like I, I keep beating this drum, but it goes back to the theology. It goes back to the assumption that, like, your kids are sinners who are out to actively rebel because that is like the fallen state of man, and we have to spank that out of them and we have to train that out of them. And so, like, all of these interactions that these, these parents are have with their kids are are colored by this assumption that the kids are like undermining evil. their authority, evil, intending malice. Yeah. Like there's this this like if seeds such distrust between them, it's it's ugly. It does. And so you like parents can't enjoy their kids learning processes or growth experiences because everything becomes like suspicious suspect for malicious intent like you're obviously intending to make your parents life miserable somehow everything that you do is subject to suspicion of malice because you're a sinful person and it's like and you're told that from the time that you're born that you are inherently bad and they don't expect that to mess with you but it does yeah my my friend, my childhood friend Jory, um, she and I have been talking about this a lot. Um, she's a a travel blogger now. Um, travel White is her handle, but she um, grew up in the same church that I did, and we had our parents go both go through these phases of like withholding things yep. from us. And I think my parents picked it up from her parents, but or maybe others too. But it was it was pretty common. Where it was like. You are enjoying reading Lord of the Rings too much. You can only read the Bible for a month now. Yep. Because you are so engrossed in this thing that you are enjoying that you are not being helpful to the family and it is becoming an idol and taking precedent over um, these other things. And so you can do your school and you can read the Bible and like that's it. And so when she was, like, in any of these learning processes, anything she was, like, doing that was, like, part of school that she really enjoyed, it would get taken away from her for the same the same reason, where it's, like, we distrust your joy. Yeah. Because you are rebellious. Like, that is our default assumption about you is that you're bad. Yeah. 
it's so terrible for relationships and for trust building. And like my parents didn't understand why I didn't trust them. And I'm like, you didn't set up an environment in which I could trust you. Yeah. I have so many directions my mind can go on this. I know. It's a little overwhelming. Um, how is the the Bible used in this world? Take it away. The Bible for for my family, and actually I'm going to backpedal a second here. At one point during the course of our homeschooling, my parents decided that um, really, a, like they decided that as far as they're concerned, all that you need to know in order to be sufficiently educated is how to do basic arithmetic and write and read the King James. Well, isn't there a Bible verse that, like, kind of, sort of... Yeah, that's like, where they pulled it from. Like, it, is it in Second Timothy or something where it's, like, the Bible contains, like, all knowledge for, like... Yeah. Health, health and godliness. Yep. Yeah. I think that's where they base that off of. So using the Bible as like a primary source document for education and like returning to it again and again with every like subject was fairly common in the circles that we ran in. I don't know yep. if it is now with Christian homeschoolers. I imagine that there's been a bit of a pushback against it to counterbalance it, but it kind of comes down to this like, the Bible is all we need, yeah. so we can find answers in it for history and science and and, and like uh, social studies and writing and not math. Well, sort of math. If you like, really scour over the description of the Ark. Oh God! Right? <laughs> can you? Um. Yeah. The ultimate word question is like design the Ark. Yeah. Um. Can you can you uh, give an example of how the Bible might be used as science in like your homeschool curriculum? Yeah, so my actually my curriculum explicitly referenced the Bible in their science books. And so what what was really like fascinating to me after I left was when I discovered science for actually and had questions that were not immediately tamped out by well god did it because all of my science books they're like explain like in biology for example they're explaining mm -hmm. about like basic genetics and mm -hmm. x and y chromosomes and whatnot and they're like and god made man and woman male and female and and reference the bible verse to be like this so is what biological bioessentialism is from like, the bible yeah yeah re reinforced by the bible okay yeah and like in my science books also uh these are all put out by alpha omega um whereas like they would like explain evolution like like that people believed evolution was a thing they did not explain evolution they explained a very poor paraphrase of what evolution of what people believe evolution it was is. a straw man yeah and and then we're like and the bible says this is incorrect because the earth was created in seven literal days see genesis so my entire science book just referenced the bible yeah i had the same kind of experience with uh apology of science um written by jay weil and it's like basically like 
creation and this and yep. the Bible and this. Like it's like it kind of went through and like mocked contemporary scientific theories yes. that reinforce um, evolution as the primary theory of the origin of the universe. And and again, yeah, it was this, it was the straw man theory. And I really haven't had the like scientific training since then to counterbalance that. I'm I consider myself like a big science fan. Like I love it and I get really excited about it and um like animal facts and insect information and like cool weird theories about like how things work. Uh it's it's so fun. I I mean I like the the book Emperor of All Maladies a biography of cancer. I loved that. Like, in medical science stuff, it just gets me so excited. But I don't know anything. <laughs> like, I don't know any of the, like, the building blocks for yep. this, like, this whole conversation that I'm so fascinated by. Um, and that's sad. And I just I just haven't had time to rectify it. I will. I can. Um, but, like, it's a lot sh- of work. it should have happened in high school. Like, yeah. it shouldn't have to, have to happen now. Yeah. What blew my mind was watching Neil deGrasse Tyson's Cosmos. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I learned so much that I didn't know about how the world worked and, and how things worked. And, like, like it was one of those bittersweet things where, like, I was so happy and so sad because for the first time I'd seen science in a way that begged me to continue asking questions. None of my science experience before then kept me asking questions. It always Mm. just shut it down with it's in the Bible. And if it's not in the Bible, it's not real. So I never cared about, well, it's not that I didn't care. It's that like, I didn't know how to care about like science, even though I really enjoy it because there was never any room to ask any questions. There was never anything that wasn't solved. There was no reason to keep going because everything was in the Bible. Because everything returned to the Bible and was final. Okay, so you're in STEM now. You're you're like... Yeah. How... Talk about that. I thought that was a great idea. The the gendering of your, your background in education and then like your transition and like going into the STEM field and like all of the feelings with where you come from. Like how, oh talk my God. to me about all of this. Yeah. So I thought it would make, so basically what I really wanted was to learn something new that I hadn't learned before, something that I didn't have like a frame of reference of. So it would be a, like a clean slate, something that mm-hmm. like is just fresh with new information that isn't tainted. Mm-hmm. I learned very fast. That's bullshit. Is not how any of this works, <laughs> but I was hoping because as it turns out, when you are denied math and science as part of your education because your parents see you as a walking womb, um, <laughs> and then you decide to go into precision machining that is entirely math and science and algebra and geometry and all of the higher concepts that you never got because you couldn't teach yourself them. Um, it's a lot. And then like, it's it's really interesting because it's a lot on its face. So like, I'm trying to catch up to actually have the math skills to be able to machine. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm also like, I'm dealing with internalized misogyny but mm-hmm. everyone else doesn't see a girl. Yeah. 
So it's weird. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet that is weird. Gosh. And like, and it's it's kind of changed a bit over the course of the last three semesters because um, I started HRT at the end of 2016 and I started school in the fall of 2017. So I'd been on T for a year. Um, and then I like upped my dose the first semester. So all of the physical changes ha- uh, started happening really quickly mm. or intensified, I guess, rather. So people initially saw me as kind of a girl. And then by the end of last semester, there was none of that left. Um, but it's interesting because like I'm in a machine shop. So it's very traditionally male and very traditionally mask, and I'm like this trans kid over here, like <laughs> who's not a dude and also not a girl. And so like I would feel camaraderie with um the like students in my class who who were women, but they would be mostly confused because they didn't realize that I was trans. They necessarily. wouldn't like invite yeah. you into their spaces organically. You had to like ver- like validate. I, I had to be like, no, I do have a uterus. I understand. What <laughs> are you gonna like, use oh. as your calling card now, Kieran? I used to have a uterus, <laughs> okay. so I understand. <laughs> <laughs> you are no longer a walking womb. <laughs> I am no longer a walking womb. <laughs> That should be on our merge. <laughs> yes. Yes. Former, yes, that former walking be. womb. No longer. Yes, former walking womb. <laughs> yeah. But so it's like all of these levels. And I, I sent an email to my instructor towards the end of last semester because I was dealing with that and ADHD and mm-hmm. dehydrating myself because of being trans and like it was the end of the semester so I was just stressed and I couldn't concentrate and I couldn't think and I actually did not go the last week of school because my body mutinied and so I sent him this letter that was like all right so this is what I'm looking at when I walk up to a lathe mm. is I have this entire context of educational neglect being yelled at for asking questions, being told that I'm inherently bad at this because of my anatomy, and also I'm terrified of using the bathroom on campus. Being on campus is hard for me mm-hmm. because I'm trans, because nobody understands, because I've been harassed in bathrooms on campus. Mm-hmm. So I'm not taking care of my body which means my blood sugar drops, which means I get shaky and it's hard to focus. And this is not the state you should be operating heavy machinery in, by the way. Yeah. And so I just like sent him that and was like, this is this is everything that is around me when I step up to a machine as I have to climb this mountain before I can make like the cut on the metal. Yeah. And he was like, oh, I get it. Good. And he was really supportive and kind I, about it. I really, I love good teachers. Like watching good teachers just makes me feel so happy. Like uh, teachers that are like passionate and excited about their students. Like um, my my host mom in Kyrgyzstan was a Russian teacher in our school, and she was like she would go to bed bat for her students all the time she loved them so much the counterparts I worked with um 
Dildas and Golnas, the way they cared about their students and like bettering themselves so that they could be better teachers. Um, yeah. Dinara AJ, who's this like goddess of a woman who runs the the like Oblast level, um, basically a teachers guild or teachers um, professional development group, and like coaching all of them. She like her the enthusiasm and the joy that she brought to teaching and like the compassion she brought for her students just it was so cathartic and healing to like be in that world where teaching is like something you a gift you can give your students rather than like an obligation something you have to do yeah an obligation that like is uncomfortable and you resent your your student for needing help yeah that's so foreign to me and so magic when I find it. It's, so it's also why I really like community college because everybody in my experience, and I know this isn't universally true, but all of my teachers give many, many, many shits about their students and about making things better for them. And like every time I've talked to any of them about things, they've always been super helpful and they've gone to bat for me. And I've always just been blown away by that. Like, as much they, as, they, they care. As much as Grove City is, like, a toxic fundamentalist wasteland in some ways, the professors there really made it for me for the same reasons. Like, they really cared. Like, Janice Brown and Colin Messer and Eric Potter and um, Andrew Harvey. Like, the English department professors... James Dixon, like the ones that I w- was able to take classes with, they were so kind to me and they were so generous and they really saw their teaching as a, as a calling. It was like a ministry for them to a way to love people and to invest in other humans. And it was just so healing to experience. Yeah. Um, walking into the English suite with like all these offices full of these wonderful people like felt like coming home. That's so good. It was so good. Anyway, yeah, and cheers to good teachers and um, I don't know what we'll talk about next week, but I just need the to go good. I just need to go cry about all of this now. I know. I know. I'm like, this is just we're having a lot, a lot of feelings. Yeah. All right. Two uh, former walking uteruses signing out. Yes. Check <laughs> us out next week. Support us on Patreon. Follow us All on Twitter. Things. Ask yeah. us questions. Yes, please ask questions. Bye. Bye. Bye.